Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello there. And welcome to the I Never Knew podcast, also known as Inc. This show dives into the life experiences of people who have been through it all and have come through the other side stronger, better, and triumphant. Each story is raw, authentic, and at times, heartbreaking. One thing joins it all together. The fact that the stories can help the listener learn and grow. Hosted by Life Coach Maureen, she sits down each episode with a new guest who will empower the listener to set out on their self-discovery journey and start to heal. Now you'll be joined by Maureen and her special guest. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of I Never Knew or Inc., my, but my dog did podcast. I'm so happy everyone is here today. I am Maureen Scanlon or Life Coach Maureen. I am a relationship expert, author, speaker, and podcast hostess. I am so excited for my next guest as, as she... And I connected and I read her bio. As always, I say there's always this connection that I have and we have so much in common. Her story is absolutely amazing. And I think everyone is going to get so much inspiration from her. She's just, you can see a light emanating from her. She's just a beautiful, beautiful soul. And at 72 years young, she has so much wisdom for all of us. I already was picking her brain before we went live. And so this is my guest, Susan Gabriel. And after a lifetime career in business development, she lives with her husband, Clark, in the country outside of a small town in Texas, where she is a full-time author, poet, and entrepreneur. And I love how she describes this. And I'm going to say this in her words because it won't be as effective without me doing that. She says, my life has been terrible, weird, and wonderful. I went through devastating experiences that forced me to rely on a higher power to find peace. 
They forced me to do things I would never have believed possible. One of those things was writing a best-selling book about it called Wheels of Injustice, Saving My Child from the Child Savers. I love that title. In 1985, she met her second husband, Clark. Six weeks after the wedding, her nine-year-old daughter was taken away by social services, and her husband, Clark, was accused of molesting her. The child protection system in the 1980s was broken and had become the very thing it was established to prevent. The situation went from bad to worse to truly bizarre, but instead of caving to the pressure, they fought back, became activists, and started a national movement for system reform. Welcome, amazing, amazing Susan. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored to have you. And so, of course, we always start with the story and I, I cannot wait to hear what has transpired. So tell us, you know, as far as I never knew, tell us what was going on at that time and, and what your story is. Well, I could, I'll start it kind of at the beginning. I, I grew up in a small town and um, with traditional background, uh, traditional parents. Um, we were, you know, as, as girls, we were expected to grow up and be housewives and mothers, not to really have a career. Uh, so I ended up, uh, getting married in my teens. Um, uh, both of us were, were quite young and, um, we had, uh, I had my first daughter when I was not quite 20. Um, so I was young, immature. We, we weren't the, the best matched couple <laughs> to say the least so that marriage ended after 15 years I had two daughters uh at that point and it ended um so that's all water under the bridge then I met my second husband Clark as you mentioned um we we just connected we just connected really quickly um and in fact we met in late August of 1985 and we were married in late December of the same year. So it was only only four months yes. <laughs> that we'd known each other. But, you know, we felt like we'd known each other for a really long time. And it was one of those really beautiful, magical, you know, indescribable types of relationships. It was so wonderful. And he got along really well with my daughters, too. Uh, one was eight and the other one was um, uh, just turned 15. Uh, so we we were, you know, a newly put together, happy family. And uh, six weeks after the wedding, I got a phone call when I was at work. And uh, they said, this is the Department of Social Services. We need to have you come down to our building. Uh, we have your daughter. And I, you know, I just was shocked. And I said, well, wh why do you have Amber? And they said, because that was my older daughter. And um, they said, no, 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 it's not Amber, it's Emily. And and so they had taken my younger daughter, the older daughter, I kind of half expected, because she was a teenager. And, and she had, you know, decided she wanted to run away with her boyfriend. And so, you know, I mean, that I could see the social services might have gotten involved at that point with her. But my younger daughter, there was nothing wrong. Nothing was going on there. So I raced down to the office there. 
and they told me that um, Clark had molested her. And I, I was in a complete state of shock because I had not seen anything that would indicate that he was anything like a pedophile or, or any kind of behavior. And we'd only been married six weeks. So there wasn't that much time for, you know, for there to be any kind of hidden behavior, even uh, there. And, and I just, it just, it made no sense at all. So I said, well, how, what, what happened? And she said, well, he tickled her. And I said, okay, well, I knew he tickled her. They had a, they were, he was a big kid playing with her as a kid. They were, you know, she would, she would jump up and grab him around the neck and hold on like a monkey. Um, and he would tickle her under the arms to get her let go. You know, it was just, just fun stuff. They enjoyed each other. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, there's some, you know, misunderstanding here. This is, I, I said, where, where did he tickle her? She said, well, on the stomach and uh, on, on the knees, on the knees. I'm like, uh, well, what you're describing is not, this is not molestation. And she yeah. said, well, you have to believe us. This is molestation. You need to force him to move out of the house and you cannot have him be in any kind of contact with her or you may never get your daughter back. Oh my God. Oh so... My God. Yeah, shock. They hadn't done any investigation. They just ran with this, this claim. And when we, I went and they said, don't get an attorney because it'll just make you look guilty. Well, I went and got an attorney. <laughs> Good for you. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's I mean, right there. Don't get an attorney because it makes I, you look guilty. No, <laughs> um, I'm innocent. That's why I get an attorney. Exactly. Oh, wow. Right. So we got an attorney. Um, and, uh, they advised us the attorney and we had a psychologist too, that our older daughter, we had her seeing a psychologist. Cause like I said, she was, she was a little bit rambunctious. Uh, but we, um, uh, talked to the psychologist. We talked to the attorney. They said, do not, do not move out of the house or they will assume that that means that, you know, you're agreeing to the fact that he's guilty right. and they wanted to use me to prosecute him. So, I mean, but already so far, all this is, is just tickling. Yeah. Sounds innocent. Yeah. And so it just snowballed after that. It just, he went down to take a lie detector test because he thought, okay, well, that'll clear me. Well, no, because apparently you can lie on lie detector that the police administering it can lie. And when they, they brought him in to discuss his results and they said, we want to talk to you. We want to tell you, you lied. And he said, what did I lie about? And they said everything. And he said, even my name. I mean, he, he was really, really getting pissed off. So he, um, he pretty much stormed out of there and that was the end of that, but that made them mad. The more we refused to agree with them, the more we refused to accept what they were saying and, and we continued to you know, to pursue it and to fight them, the harder they fought. Yeah. And um, so uh, this time I, I didn't have, they, they took my daughter and put her in foster care. And w- w- the first time I saw her, I was devastated because she was, she was dirty. Her hair wasn't combed her teeth. She hadn't brushed her teeth. And I don't know how long her dress, 
that she had an address that wasn't hers and it was way too small. Um, it, it, she, you could tell she was just being neglected. Oh and um, I could see that I was allowed to see her one hour a week under supervision at the Department of Social Services. So she would sit on my lap and cry and ask me why she couldn't come home. And I was not allowed to talk to her about anything to do with the case. So I couldn't tell her why she couldn't come home. I couldn't tell her when she was going to come home. So it was really, this was so hard on both of us. And I could see how hard it was on her, which just tore me up. Um, So after that, uh, we had court case after court case. We, We had hearings to go to. They charged me with dependency and neglect, which was that I had allowed Clark to abuse her. That was what I was being accused of. He eventually was arrested um, and they charged him with a felony. A felony. And the penalty for this was 16 years in prison. With no proof. No proof whatsoever. And all so far they talked about was tickling. And so Clark, Clark has a great sense of humor. And the only way we could get through this was to kind of, you know, have some humor, fun out of it. And he called it felony tickling uh, because what else do you call it? (laughs) Right, right. And I know that, you know, in in jail, they don't treat people that they think are child molesters very well. That had to be so scary for both of you. Yeah, it was. Luckily, he didn't have to stay in jail too long. Uh, We got him out on bail. Good. so, but we continued on this way. Um, and every hearing we went to, we were, everything we requested, they ruled against us. The judge would rule against us and they wouldn't listen to anything that our detective, they we had a detective, they wouldn't listen to anything our lawyer said. They completely ignored all the evidence and, uh, and uh, my daughter was getting more upset and I was getting more distraught this went on for about four or five months and then one I I started seeing a psychiatrist because I thought I'm going to lose my mind and he prescribed something called Xanax Mm -hmm. well it didn't really affect me exactly the right way I found out later that it can cause suicidal tendencies sure So, um, I, what I did was after one hearing, I was so distraught and upset that I, um, grabbed some pills, uh, rest of the Xanax, uh, a bottle of, um, painkillers and a wine cooler. And I drove up in the mountains. I was in Colorado. I drove up in the mountains to a, a remote location. I was planning to kill myself and do it in such a way that no one would ever be able to stop me or would find me. So I took the pills and um, I laid down. I had this, there was this big rock there and I laid down on the rock and I said, God, if you want me to live, you're going to have to do something because I can't take this. It's just too painful. And I was obviously out of my mind because why would I want to leave my children motherless? I mean, that was awful, but at the time, I wasn't thinking clearly. No, and you wanted a way out. And that's, yeah, I and that's, did. 
that's where we, couldn't. you know, in, in suicidal ideation, there's, there's no thought mm -hmm. except I can't handle any more of what's going on. And yes. Susan, oh my gosh, I, I can only imagine that, that feeling of desperation and helplessness of yes. not being able to help your daughter, not being able to help your husband and mm -hmm. the uncertainty of the future. Cause it sounded like it was guilty until proven innocent. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And um, so I took the pills, laid down. I, after that, I went unconscious. And the next thing I remember was sitting on a curb in front of a grocery store. <laughs> Miracle. How did I get there, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a story. Well, God saved me. It, you know, he took my challenge and he said, okay, if I have to, I will. And he did. <laughs> so that's in the book, you know, the description of how, how that actually came about. And I was, I was saved. Um, but everything continued on. I mean, it, 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 it was unabated. Uh, the pressure continued to mount. Um, she was taken away in February of 85. And then in November of 85, they had the trial. The interesting thing about the trial was that the judge, uh, they, all they had at that point still was tickling. I mean, it was insane. So the judge, the, the judge, I think he advised the prosecution to give us a plea bargain. So they offered Clark a plea bargain, but it was called something called deferred prosecution, where they said, if, if you don't get into any kind of trouble within a year, we'll drop the charges. Well, that wasn't good enough for Clark. He, he wanted to prove it. He was innocent beyond a reasonable doubt. And that was it. And he wanted them completely out of our lives. So good he refused it. And that made the judge really mad. So the judge ordered our attorney to send over all of Clark's files to the judge's law partner to review, to see whether our attorney was giving Clark the right advice or not. So his law partner reviewed all the materials and then wrote a letter back to our attorney. And he had seven points, seven reasons why Clark was innocent and why he should not even be prosecuted and why if he were prosecuted, that he should then turn around and sue them for prosecution. Wow. Yeah, there's your miracle. There it is. Well, you would think so, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, they continued to pursue it. The judge was so mad that Clark was still refusing the uh, deferred prosecution that he told our attorney that he was going to throw the book at him and give him the full 16 years in prison if he was found guilty. So so we had to go to trial. Yeah, uh, we had a jury trial. Um, and yeah. Uh, so what happened in the trial was really interesting and I describe it in the book, uh, but I won't go into that here, but, uh, he ultimately, he was found not guilty and, and the jurors came over to us afterwards and they hugged us and they had tears in their eyes and I had tears in my eyes and they said, we're so sorry you had to go through this. So the, I was just in shock because I, I mean, up to this point, uh, everybody had kind of deserted us, you know, your, your family, your friends, they all kind of wonder, well, why, you know, the, the, here's the phrase we heard all the time. If where there's smoke, there's fire. Oh, 
So, you know, they, they figure, why would they go to all this trouble to prosecute Clark if he really hadn't done anything? Yeah. So it was bizarre. That was, that, that was the, the part where I labeled my life was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> to go through an experience like that. Oh my gosh. Now, how are your daughters handling all this? Cause I know at 15 and being already rebellious, your, yeah. your older one was probably really struggling. And then the little one, not really understanding what's going on. I mean, no. how did they handle it? Well, after a few weeks or so, or months, uh, I can't remember how long it was. They finally put my daughter into the custody of my ex-husband. Um, and he was remarried at that point. He wasn't the greatest father, but it was, oh my, so much better than having her in foster care. So she still was struggling a lot. It was really, really hard for her because she and I were really close and she wasn't allowed to come over to the house at all. It, this all had to be done in social services one hour a week. And that was all we really got to see each other. So that that relationship was was very painful. My other daughter um, was, she became much more supportive and understanding. So, so she, you know, she, she was, had definitely calmed down by that point. Um, but they, here's, here's, here's the, it went from bizarre, you know, of they continued to prosecute Clark to the totally bizarre. So here's what happened next. You know, they had the dependency and neglect case against me for not protecting my daughter from being abused by Clark. Well, they decided that even though Clark was found not guilty, that they were going to continue to pursue the dependency and neglect against me because I didn't believe them. How does that (laughs) happen? If he's found not guilty, that you by default are not guilty because the abuse didn't happen. You're fine. Exactly. There was nothing to protect her against. It's a moot point now, right? Oh my gosh. Then I got pregnant. I found I I found out I was pregnant shortly after the trial. But they were continuing this dependency and neglect case against me, and I was really getting stressed out. And uh, a few months later uh, was going to be the case that was going to go to to a, a hearing, and um, I was really nervous about it, but. Three days before that date, I went to see the obstetrician for a checkup and he found the baby had died. So that uh, just completely devastated me. I was, that took me to the absolute lowest of the low point. I mean, everything. I had lost my daughter. I lost my baby. I came close to losing Clark, but we lost our reputation. Um, and we we were thousands and thousands of dollars in debt at that point too. And we were not rich by any means. Um, so it, it, we were, we were just, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. But at that point, I mean, I was, I was too low to even try to commit suicide. But I, I told God, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. I do not. I don't see how I, how you could possibly exist and allow me to go through all of this. And I ended up, being so depressed that I just signed away my parental rights. That's what they wanted. They wanted me to give up custody. So I did. I just gave up custody and gave it over to my ex-husband. And, uh, but that meant that now, now what they were going to do was 
force us to all go to therapy until the therapist said, yes, it's okay. Now Clark and my daughter can be in the same room together. So we had to go to therapy. We were going to therapy more than once a week. It was just like there was constantly we were going to therapy. Um, and the therapist was in charge of this when when Clark and my daughter could actually be together again. So she was still not getting to come over to the house at all. Um, a year later, uh, the her report comes out and she says, well, uh, they're doing well. And um, she has has three reasons why actually why my daughter should be allowed to come back home again. And one of them was that she uh, she completely denied that anything had ever happened. You know, I mean, she was trying to re what they call recant. She was trying to, to say, no, nothing happened. I lied. Everything was a lie. And uh, she told that to the therapist. And yet the therapist said, I believe she still needs to have additional therapy. I don't think we can reunite the family yet. So, you know, this was like more than two years after they took her. And uh, st still, I'm I'm beside myself. But one thing we started doing was we started a nonprofit organization for other people. We found there were other people who were being falsely accused, just like we were. So we started this organization as a support group, but we did a lot of a lot of research into what was going on with the laws, why this happened, whether this was a you know national problem or just in, in the state of Colorado. And we learned that there were organizations like the one we started all over the country because this was happening all over the country and um you know it was just one of those things that it it, it was it was because of the emphasis in that the 80s over trying to eradicate child abuse that they just went overboard and the laws were changed in such a way that it made it really easy to falsely accuse someone now that that was back in the eighties, and we were talking offline. How I feel, I personally, my mm -hmm. opinion is that the system is still broken. But what, where did you start? What were the things that you started with? Because I mean, that whole ordeal, I mean, the never-ending nightmare that you guys were mm -hmm. going through. How do you pinpoint where to even start? Where did you guys start? Um. Well, you know what I did was once once. We got to a point where I, everything was done. You know, I lost the baby. The court case was continuing on. We decided that if we are not going to, oh, we decided to try to sue them also, as was recommended. Yeah. Found out we couldn't sue them because they were protected by something called um, um, diplomatic immunity or some some kind of immunity clause where they were you can't sue them unless they allow you to sue them. You have to get permission to sue oh. them. Well, they're not going to give us permission to sue them. Right. I, that's <laughs> so, the silliest thing I've like, ever how heard. Crazy, how crazy do you think we are? There's just no way. So so we, we knew that wasn't going to work. So we thought, you know what? I'm still so mad and so angry about everything that happened. I can't, I can't not do anything. So I, I was so angry. I thought, well, I'm going to expose what they do. I'm going to make, I'm going to make them embarrassed for what they do. I'm going to make 
everybody see it and I'm going to, I'm not going to shut up until everybody knows. So I started writing letters to the editor, calling into talk shows, um, you know, contacting the press association, everything I could think of. So I, that was what got it started. And then once I started talking about it, then a bunch of other people started contacting us. And that's when we started the organization. Um, and as as we continued to all of us talk about it, the organization grew. Um, we we created, we started a magazine, in fact, and that we started sending out to people. Um, we were contacted eventually after all of this publicity by Ms. Magazine, a national magazine, and they wrote our story up in the magazine. Yeah. And that's a big magazine time, too. That's yeah, amazing. And, and Clark had come up with an 800 number by that point. And they put that in the magazine and our number never stopped ringing. I mean, never. We had to turn the ringer off and just put on just an, an answering machine message. Um, and we were sending out material to, to people um, that, that were calling us. So, so we had a, we had a, had a whole business going at that point of, you know, help, helping other people, listening to them on the phone, um, you know, sending them material. We had some things that we sold as well to try to, you know, to get money as a nonprofit um, to get donations. I wrote some grants to try to get additional donations. You know, it, it was a, it was a full-time job, even though I had a full-time job because we were still paying off bills. And uh, eventually we were contacted by an author who wanted to include our story in his book. He was a well-known person. So when his book was published, uh, he, the, the Today Show wanted to interview him and they wanted to interview us too. So we were on the Today Show also. So we, we had publicity coming out of our ears at that point. And uh, as we continued to, you know, to promote it, I, I I had an opportunity to begin to talk to the people who were involved in our case. They, and they did as well as um, a couple of other people, like the head of the department of social services. Um, he wanted to make changes. He saw that there were problems in his department and in other parts of the system and in the laws. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. So eventually, we were invited to be on a task force to rewrite the laws. And so that, that was very gratifying. And... Eventually, we became really good friends with this Department of Social Services uh, director, 
In fact, <laughs> we still write to each other out weekly, probably, because he has a, a he's a Christian. He has a newsletter. He sends that out every week. And then I usually write back some comments about it. But, it, you know, God works in mysterious ways because that's the last person I would have ever thought that I would be friends with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never knew right there. I mean, I never knew I would have an ally in the head of the department that was causing havoc and, and, you know, turmoil yeah. and trauma in my family. I mean, you're yeah. such an inspiration and, and this is for listeners. I, gosh, if you don't get inspiration from Susan, then I should probably stop podcasting because, <laughs> oh my goodness, you know, that saying, be the change you want to see in the world. Mm -hmm. You were, you were, you are, you continue to be. And when I asked the question, where did you start? You didn't, you were solution-minded, not problem-focused. You're like, well, this stuff is still going on and I'm angry and I can't get them to listen to me. But you said, hey, I'm just going to be a voice. I'm just going to tell mm -hmm. my story. And that's why I do what I do here and write the books and, and everything that I do. Tell your story because there's going to be mm -hmm. so many people that can relate. And then, then your numbers, then you're, you're increasing in these numbers and the phone's ringing off the hook. And I'm just, you get the attention of the people you were trying to speak to in the first place mm -hmm. by just getting out there and being a voice for all of those that weren't able to speak. And right. I just love that, you know, a task yeah. force, you're on the task force to change a law yeah. where two years previously you felt there was no light at the end of that tunnel. Mm -hmm. There was no God to help you. There was nothing that you could do. How, how amazing is that? That's, it, that's yeah, beautiful. it really was. And we had, we had a, a, a national convention, also a conference, national conference with guest speakers from all over the country, um, you know, had people come in from all over the country. So we, it, it turned into something really big. Yeah, uh, it was, it was amazing. Did it help your daughter heal too? Cause I always say when we start doing good, it's healing for us, even though you're, mm -hmm. you're helping, when you start helping others, I think you're doing your, your healing for yourself. Did your, yeah. did that help your daughter by seeing the positive that came out of it? I think it did. You know, it was three years uh, to the month um, after they took her that my ex-husband called me and he said, would you take custody back of Sarah of the, of our daughter. And um, I said, yes, yes, please. Yes, I'll take custody. Uh, he said that he thought she would do better with me. And uh, he said, well, he started to say she was causing problems, but then he kind of backtracked on that. But I imagine she probably was because she and I never, we, we never lost that bond that we had. We were very close and we were still just visiting each other you know, on this monthly or this weekly basis. And that was it. So he said we could have custody at that point. Um, and also we had been cleared finally for Clark to be able to actually be in the same room with her. So finally, social services left us alone and um, we were able to get uh, her back into the home. And that was the biggest healing right there was the fact that she could come back. And, and you know, she was away from her sister too for three years. Yeah. So oh. it, 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 you know, to have that opportunity to finally come back 
to all of us rebond again. And it was, it didn't take long at all before uh, she just got back into the regular rhythm and into the relationship that she had previously with Clark. They, they still, they still got along really well. (laughs) And uh, it just, it was, we were healed. In other words, our, our family was healed. Um, We had made huge changes in the system and um, it, it was definitely one of those things that only God could have put together. I mean, it, I because I would have been dead if it had been left up to me. Uh, I I would have been dead, and there, the, I didn't have, I didn't have any kind of external support really, because, like I said, even family and friends, they, you know, they don't know how to support something like that. Yeah. They, they're yeah. either all mm-hmm. in or they're out because there's this seed of doubt that yep. is implanted with these accusations. And it's so unfair because human nature is, I'm going to believe mm-hmm. this negative thing rather than just completely ignore. Cause you know, when it comes to the law, yeah. the law is about facts. It's not about feelings. Mm-hmm. So that's the difficult part is I may have feelings for someone and then if the law is involved, there must be facts, but there weren't any. And what's frustrating, and and I'm dealing with this right now with my own situation, is they want family reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know, you wanted reconciliation for three years and you know it came full circle back to where it should have just stayed in the first place. And yet they had no interest in reconciliation mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. And there's other times where like in my case, they give the parents so many rights Mm -hmm. and they're not realizing that reconciliation doesn't need to happen, especially when the children are older. So it's, It's do you find that it's a case by case since this really blew up and you found uh out how things are nationwide? Is this a state? We we found out, we found a lot of situations like the, what you described where sometimes they would put children back into dangerous situations and you know for no apparent reason it would be you know it would be mind-boggling they it's like they didn't have any common sense they weren't really using in fact you know to illustrate their lack of common sense and their lack of logic here was a, a conversation that i had with the social services um they said you have to force Clark to admit that he's guilty. And I said, well, how do you know he's guilty? And they said, well, we know because he won't admit his guilt. You know, the people who are guilty won't admit it. And I said, well, what do people who are not guilty do? What do they say? (laughs) And they say, here's their answer. Well, we're not really in the business of determining guilt or innocence. We're in the business of putting families back together again. And they said, okay, well, why aren't you doing that for us? And they said, because Clark won't admit his guilt. So, yeah. Um, What a circle. What a hamster wheel. That, that is ridiculous. Uh You know, I'm, I'm a fan of true crime because um, I love psychology and that's my, my background and I am a life coach. So um, I like to figure out why people do things and what, what are the signs and what have we, what do we miss? And so true crime is really fascinating to me. And you know, one of the things that, that I've said to my husband is we don't have a nation of laws. We have 50 separate countries. 
And mm-hmm. every within yeah. those little countries, there's 500 different same laws. If uh-huh. that makes sense. Yes. There's no standard operating procedure. You work in a corporation. I worked in a corporation for 26 years. There's a standard operating procedure mm-hmm. manual for when this happens, this is what we follow. Uh-huh. But sadly, we don't have a justice system. We have a legal system. And that legal system does not have a standard operating procedure. It is based mm-hmm. on, I feel, biases by the attorneys, by the judges, by their own perceptions, their mm-hmm. own experiences. So think about a judge who's had maybe in a week, maybe he sees five to 10 child molesters and there's proof they are child mm-hmm. molesters. They're going to be more biased to this accusation and not mm-hmm. apt to look at the facts. And I right. think we need more of a third party moderator looking at these like yeah. you said that judge's legal um was the his um is a partner 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 yeah. and said hey this doesn't look right and they still didn't follow that so there's no we learned in in school right the mm-hmm. balance the balances that we have to do the um god i lost my been a long time since I've been in school, but, um, checks and balances. Yeah. And and why don't we have more checks and balances in our legal Mm -hmm. system? And, you know, um, I also majored in psychology. So personality is the theory of personality has always really been interesting to me. And one of the things that was at play here was, um, Clark's personality clashing with the personalities of the people who work in the child protection system personality clash. I mean, that, that was right at the very beginning. And that was a big part of it. That was one of the reasons that they wanted to punish us and, and punish him because, you know, the difference he he didn't have, and he still doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't have the kind of personality where you can just tell him something and he's going to believe it. He, he goes by facts, you know, he, he's very, very research oriented, fact-based, logical um that's he how he, he can't be intimidated and the legal uh-uh. system is intimidating and mm-hmm. we always think they know more than we do because they know the laws and i'm just mm-hmm. a lay person i don't really understand all these laws and i love that clark was like no we're going to trial nope i'm yeah. not admitting anything i'm not going to admit something i didn't do bless his heart for being that strong bless his heart mm-hmm. for being that warrior that made this whole thing transpire so your voices could be heard and change could be made. Right. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated and so impressed by the both of you that, wow, I always say we're we're given the hardest things because we can handle it because we are strong enough. Yeah. And speaking of the hardest things, um, one, one of the things that was so hard for me was the fact that they kept telling me if I kicked Clark out of the house that I could get my daughter back and they kept, they used it. It was, it was um, like, uh, you know, uh, trying, trying to force my hand by keeping her, you know, it was, it was uh, blackmail. That's what I would call it. Blackmail. They were trying to blackmail me into going along with their prosecution of him because they were so angry with him. 
and they wanted me to cooperate in that. And so they were not going to allow me to ever have custody again. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to was... speak for all the moms out there as I have three grown children and three grandchildren. Now, as a mom, you think I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to do this thing because I love my children unconditionally. You were in this, oh, this, this rock and a hard place where I don't want to kick my husband out. I love him and I know he's innocent. And then this other place mm -hmm. where maybe we just need to sacrifice because I want my kids and I want to be there for mm -hmm. my kids. And right. also that thought in the back of your head, are people judging, you know, mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. judging yeah. what kind of a mom I am. If I don't do this thing that I'm being yeah. asked to do, kick him. It just, it's mm -hmm. easy. Just let him go live in an apartment. You can mm -hmm. see him whenever you want to, but yeah. you should be a good mom and have your daughter. And yeah. that took a lot of strength. Yeah, it did. And, and, and finally, you know, and I fought with myself about that, but I thought to myself, oh, what kind of role model would I be if I caved to this pressure? I want to be a good role model to my children so that they grow up knowing that if somebody tries to pressure you to do something that you know is wrong, you should not give it, you should not cave to that pressure, you know, stick up for what you believe is right. And I knew that Clark was innocent. And I knew that if I did not stick up for him on his side, he was going to go down they were not going to stop. So, I, you know, I, that, that finally was the thing that convinced me that we were on the right path was I had to be a good role model and, and do what was right. Isn't that amazing in those moments? And I've talked about this when I was absolutely devastated. I was in a domestic violence, abusive marriage, and then he had been unfaithful. And I remember that moment where it was ending and I was just devastated and crying. And I said, if I can help one person, I'll go through this. And you mm -hmm. just, you just said, I, I had to make this, this decision for the greater good of everyone. I mean, you really mm -hmm. said, if I don't make this decision, I know what's going to happen. They're going to win. And then every, there's no change that's going to happen. And everyone going forward in this system is going to be victimized, which you were mm -hmm. in this same way. And that in that devastation, you still had that mind to say, I want to be a role model for my kids. And I just think that's yeah. says a lot about who you are as a person. And that takes a strength beyond anything. A lot of us can understand. Yeah. And it wasn't my own strength. And I do, I have to give God the, the, the glory in all of it, because all this time when I said, I'm not going to believe in you anymore, all of the things I went through, the, the times I obviously didn't trust in him and I tried to kill myself, he was there. He was there and I just didn't know it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, but now I look back on it and everything that's happened, I can see where he had a hand in it. In fact, getting the book written was a miracle of God because I had started the book 30 years ago and I had all of the paperwork from the court, everything, all of my manuscripts and everything. 
I got into a certain point in the book and when it came to the time where they took her away, I couldn't, I couldn't keep writing. I was just, it devastated me again so much just writing about that, um, that I just took everything and I just put it all into a box and stored it. And that was like 30 years, 30 years later, I thought that all that stuff had been thrown out. And when we moved into the house that we live in now, I happened to be going through some old stuff and I was going to get rid of a bunch of old boxes of things. And I was just tossing some boxes. I wasn't even looking into a lot of the boxes because I knew they were just old papers and stuff that we didn't need anymore. I was throwing everything out. And then I, for some reason, I happened to look into this one box and I saw there it was the manuscript and all of the court paperwork right there in that box. And I thought, well, I could throw it away. I don't think I can throw it away. And then I thought, what if I could, you know, pick it up and, and finish the book? So I brought it in the house, put it in a drawer, and then I picked it up and started working on it again. But that, I mean, it, I was amazed to see after 30 years that that was still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, until you were able to just repetitively tell the story and help mm -hmm. others share with others make these changes in the legal system you know all those things have to transpire you, you yeah I look you look back at your life and you think man at that moment I didn't see anything happening and then this happened and then this happened and all mm -hmm. of it is this chain reaction of what had to happen and when you say I knew God was there. He knew what he was doing. We don't know what we're doing because we can't see the future, but mm -hmm. it's just that belief that I'm going to be okay. And I think it's such a healing process to write a book. I really do. Mm -hmm. I tell people to journal. I, even if you don't publish, just write it, get it out. Mm -hmm. And like you said, when I revisited it, I wasn't ready yet. I had to put it away for just a minute. And it's mm -hmm. kind of a little check on ourselves to say, are we ready? Are we fully healed? Then we've got more work to do. And yeah, that's, right. that's so yeah. amazing. I am just uh, so amazed by you. So now you, you wrote the memoir and it becomes this bestseller. Of course it does, because my goodness, what a intriguing story. So what happens after it becomes this bestseller? What do you, what do you decide you want to do from there? Um, well, you know, I learned a lot. I published it myself uh, and I had decided to start a business just so that I could publish my own book um, because I, I, it's, it's a little bit works out a little bit better, you know, to have a business then you've got some, um, business expenses and tax deductions and things. So I, I did it that way. So I created this company called Soul Sunshine and it's S-O-N Sunshine, like the God of the son of God shining on you. And uh, that was the company that I, I published, I published the book under. Uh, and then uh, God, well, I, I write poetry too. And I, I had written probably 200 poems and I thought, well, the next book I think that I'll do is a book of poetry. So I decided to, uh, to have it illustrated. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be neat to have a different artist illustrate each poem and, you know, have a one illustration and then one poem and then all these different artists 
illustrated. So I thought if I could even just do 60, you know, I don't know if I can find 60 artists, but that would be really cool. So (laughs) I I put a little post out on Facebook that I was looking for illustrators for this book of poems. I ended up getting, I think, right. There there's, it's still coming in. I'm still getting, getting artists filling out my form. And I noticed you know, I'm using Google Forms. And so I, every so often I look again, the last time I looked, I had 130. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I've got this huge directory of artists and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Um, what can I do with that? <laughs> and yeah. then I realized that there are a lot of uh, authors I saw out on Facebook looking for illustrators of a certain type. You know, they had something in mind. How are they going to find that? Well, the, the form that I had sent out had a lot of different questions and, you know, links to their portfolios. So I had all that and it turns into when you send it to Google, a Google form in, you can turn it into a spreadsheet. So now I've got this spreadsheet, all of these different, you know, types of styles and all of the information about each of the artists. And I also looked to see uh, what countries they were from, 28 different countries. So <laughs> I've got artists from all over the world, all of these different styles listed, uh, information about their price range, you know, what they would charge. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to really expand my business and, you know, start to help other authors find illustrators and I could, could do it with this database. So some of the artists that I had met in the, in the uh, process of doing the poetry and, and assigning them a poem to do, I became friends with. Some of them were just wonderful. I mean, just wonderful artists and, and great people, Christians. Again, we just really connected. Yeah. And um, I, so I really connected with about four or five of them very closely. And uh, we decided, well, let's just turn Soul Sunshine into a, a real business, you know, where, where this is what we do. And then I thought, well, why stop at just illustrations? You know, why, why not just publish people's books right from the beginning? So I've got a good friend in California who has all of the skills for being a book coach. I thought, wow, bring her in. She can be the book coach. She also does editing. Uh, so I've got her on board as well. So I've got a good, um, I've got seven people now that are working for me. And uh, wow, so they're having a blast. It's, yes. Every day is a dream come true for me. Ah. Every day. And I get to connect with these wonderful people every day. And I've got, I found one of the artists was really good at web design. So I've got him redoing my website. Um, <laughs> it's funny yeah. how it just branches out, doesn't it? Yes. And oh. I've got another artist who's just really good at seeing what needs to be done in an illustration to make it really work in a, yeah. in a story. And so I assigned him to be like the, the art director and, and he helps the illustration, the, the artist. we assign him to work with an artist. He learns from the author, what the author has in mind, and then kind of reinterprets that for the artist in such a way that the artist is going to understand it. So that that was another phenomenal idea and i don't know of any other company that does things like that no i do not and yeah. i am you know in the arena of writing mm-hmm. and 
publishing. So that is amazing. And I'm going to definitely use you and listeners. If you're interested in, in any of these ideas of publishing your book and the illustration, mm -hmm. that's my favorite part. Um, yeah, we're going to get you all of Susan's information. I could talk to you forever, but I only have an, so where can they get both your book and how to reach you? What are your websites to find you? Okay. Um, soul, soul sunshine is my website. Again, that's S O U L S O N S H I N E.com. The website is in the process of being revised. So it's not the way that, you know, we want it to be just yet. But you at least will, if you go on the website, you can get contact information. You know, it shows uh, that I've got, there's a phone number there and there's also an email address. So that, different ways to get in contact with me. Perfect. Um, and by the yeah. time this is published, it, it will be because we're, yeah. we're pretty far out. So that'll okay. be really, really good. And then your book is? It's, uh -huh. it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Barnes and Noble, uh, Kobo, uh, a lot of the other um, book sites as well. It's also available in uh, audio, audio version an audio book, uh, which I narrated. So you get to hear my voice again. <laughs> I know I made the and, mistake of not doing my own voice, although I love my my voice over but everyone had said you need to do your own voice for your book. So yeah. lesson learned. And the name of your book? It's Wheels of Injustice, Saving My Child from the Child Savers. Mm, what a great, great title. All right. As we wrap up, I have two things I usually ask my guests and we uh -huh. leave it a little bit lighthearted. So the first one is, what is under 10 words, one sentence of what you would tell your younger self? Don't give up. Love it. Don't give up. Because you don't know what's on the other side of it. And it's, mm -hmm. there's a meme where there's someone digging and they realize they're just one step away from breaking yeah. through. I've seen that meme on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then I do a fun little thing called take my money. And in the spirit right now, because we are in holiday season, I find weird and wacky things that people spend their money on or that are for sale or that people must have. So I'm going to give you an example. And then you tell me what you've seen is something that you want them to take your money for. So one of the things I found today were bacon bandages. They're little bandages that look like bacon. <laughs> and I love bacon. I love bacon. And those are $8.35 on Amazon. And this one is really yuck, but hey, to each his own. I saw today pickle flavored cotton candy. Oh my gosh, that sounds so awful. <laughs> it does. $9.97 on Amazon. You too can have some pickle flavored cotton candy. So what is something you bought that was strange or something that you have to have that most people don't or what you've seen on sale? Wow. Um, yeah, I can't think of much. Uh, I like chocolate though. So you could make chocolate shaped into anything. And uh, that's what I would buy. I don't care what <laughs> it is. I mean, chocolate shaped microphone, uh, you know, chocolate shaped 
um, um, doorknob, whatever. <laughs> and you know, yes. here's what here's here is one thing I saw, and this was this is it keeps it. I'm fascinated, and I cannot turn off the video when this comes up on my Facebook. Is there is somebody bakes these cakes that look like real items, like it might look like a tennis shoe. Well, it looks exactly like a tennis shoe and they take a knife to it and they cut through it and it's a cake. Yeah, it's kind of disturbing. because It's very disturbing. <laughs> uh, they had one that was a foot and they had uh, <laughs> two feet right next to each other and they took a knife and right down the center of that foot, they cut it. It was really uh, distressing. <laughs> I, I think it's cake. Odd. I think our brains can't wrap around, you know, no. separating the object to a cake. And I've seen it like I'm a dog lover and I've seen them do it with dogs. And I'm like, uh -huh. yeah. It's oh, yeah. It's <laughs> awful. That's fun. That was a really, really good one. Susan, I thank you. It was such an honor. And I'm so grateful for your time today and for your story and just who you are in this world and for making a change. You, you show that by taking action we make a difference. We don't have to be mm -hmm. bitter. We can be better. And so I'm so grateful for you today. And I'm so happy that I got to meet you. Thank you. I really enjoyed meeting you too. Wonderful. And we will definitely keep in touch guys. Mm -hmm. So reach out at soulsunshine.com to get a hold of Susan and go find her book wheels of justice. I can't remember the rest of it. Where yeah. It? Wheels saving. of injustice, saving my child from the child savers. There it is. Wheel. I wrote down when we were talking, I was writing it down, didn't finish. Wheels of Injustice, Saving My Child from the Child Savers on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and you get the audio book. Just wonderful reading. I'm definitely going to uh, grab that book because I'm just fascinated by your story. If you are looking for life coaching, relationship coaching, I'm at lifecoachmaureen.com and I also do motivational speaking my new doggy boutique is called my dog is everything.net where we sell healthy treats, healthy products, shampoos, lots of fun bandanas and all things that show our precious puppies how much we love them. So my dog is everything.net. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for the five-star reviews. Thank you all for your support, your sharing, and just for being here. We appreciate your time. It's valuable and priceless, and I'm so ever grateful to all of you. Have a wonderful day, and we will see you on the next episode of I Never Knew But My Dog Did. Thanks, guys.